Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. I'm curious... uh... People tell me all the time that everybody has a cell phone. So I want to find out if that's true. How many of you have a cell phone here today? Oh my goodness, look at that, look at that. Do you know that in, in England, specifically in London, that they actually have uh, recorded how many people are getting injuries <laughs> because they are using their cell phones while they're walking along the street? And of all things, they keep bumping into lampposts. Can you believe that? There's so many, they say that one out of ten people who are using their cell phones while they're walking along the street bump into uh, something. All right? So much so now that they're, they're in a trial period and they're actually, they've ra- they're started wrapping their lampposts with foam so that people won't be seriously injured all right so just just a heads up that's a, like a believe it or not actually ripley's believe it or not put that in their their news and i thought okay is that true is that really true i'm not sure so how many of you here have ever bumped into something because you were on your phone and you didn't notice it and you come on be honest okay there's a there's a few we're taking notes we're taking names all right well, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, would Jesus be put in Ripley's Believe It or Not? I mean, think about it. Think about it. The news gets out there. Is it a rumor or is it true? Um, Jesus turns water into wine. Is that true? Do you really believe that? Many people would love to believe it. All right. Yeah, Jesus turns water. Wow, let me see if I really believe that. Uh, how about Jesus walking on water? That would hit the news, right? Do you really believe it? That Jesus was able to literally walk on water. It's a little bit hard to believe. How about, uh, how about this one? That he raised someone back from the dead after he'd been dead for three days. He just said the word and the man came back to life. And the man said, I got to go through this again, right? Yeah. You know, there are many things that we say we believe. And I wonder how many times we've actually sat and thought, do we really, really, really believe that? Now, as a Christian, I hope that you say, yes, absolutely. I, I believe all those things. You know, our our belief in God and in Christ uh, is more than important. Our life hinges on it, right? Whether or not it's true. And so the, the begs the question, what is the evidence that a person really does believe? What is the true evidence of that? Well, if you have your Bible, 1 John uh, chapter 5, 
this week. We're only in 1 John for, I think, uh, one or two more weeks. But here we are, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And the question is, do we believe this? Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child, or some some uh, translations say his children as well. Now, I remember accepting Jesus when I was about four, four and a half years old, maybe five. Uh, I don't have the exact date. I wish my mom would have written that down, but I was... Uh, I was attending a good news club in my mom's house and uh, child evangelism fellowship. And she and a little lady named uh, Ida Laycock. And it was kind of interesting. My mom's name was Iva and her name was Ida. So you had Iva and Ida. Uh, it was kind of confusing sometimes. But uh, but they were telling the story that that day. And it was actually about Jesus calming the storm, walking on the water. And uh, I thought, wow. And, and there was a little, you know, challenge given to us as kids. And, and, and I accepted Jesus that day. I remember going into my mom's bedroom and kneeling down by the, by the bed and saying the prayer to ask Jesus to come into my, into my heart and my life and sealed the deal, right? Um, that's great. That's great. But do I really believe See, I accepted it at that age, but then I kept living. Here I am now, getting a little bit older. Do I believe? What's the evidence? What's, what's the, what seals it for me that I really do, I really have believed and I'm still believing? You know, it's interesting. Uh, when, I was, when I was at First Baptist Church in Visalia as a youth pastor, this is many, many, many years ago, the children's pastor did something really bizarre. Uh, we were having uh, vacation Bible school, and it was a very large church. So they had over 200 kids there at vacation Bible school. It was massive. And they were doing their thing, and it was the day that they were, they were going to ask kids to accept Jesus to be their Savior. And so um, they did that, and it was a big auditorium, and, and they were all, and the kids were raising their hands, and and uh, they said, great, 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 fantastic. We're so glad that you responded to Jesus. Now, this is what the children's pastor did. She says, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, um, we're going to ask you to stay while the rest of the kids are dismissed. And they're going to have ice cream. <laughs> and if you stay here, I'm sorry, but you're going to miss the ice cream. It was interesting. Out of... The 50 kids that raised their hands, about five stayed behind. Okay? Now you say, oh, that's cruel. Well, you know, it's not much different for us as adults today. Right? Hey, I believe in Jesus. Great. Here's what a person who believes in Jesus does. Here's how a person who believes in Jesus acts. Because he's a follower. She's a follower of Jesus. How many times have we opted for ice cream instead of obedience? Right? I know I've opted it quite a few times. So what's the evidence that we really do believe? Well, I think John has something to say about that. 
So if you're interested, uh, look at your Bible. Verse uh, 2 says this, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now again, the, the intent of this line, uh, when it says children of God, we know that God says love God and love others. And loving God means also loving his children, which would also include Jesus, right? So here we are, we're looking at this verse, and we're saying, okay, he's saying it specifically, this is how we know. We have this understanding, we have this deep, deep uh, confidence that we are children of God because we love God and we carry out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, our faith, our belief in God. So it says there, we love God and his children. So can we honestly say we love God? And the evidence here seems to be something about his commands, that we love him, and the evidence of that love is that we actually follow through and do what he calls us to do. We we attempt at being the kind of person, the kind of people that he calls us to be. And he gives us the the example in his son, Jesus. Now, we know Jesus was perfect, and we know that we're not perfect. We're still tied to this old fleshly body. And as Paul says in another place in the New Testament, he says, oh, you know, what, what, a, what a horrible situation I'm in. I long to do what's right, but my body, and I live in this crazy world and I find myself doing what I don't want to do. And so we're, we're caught in between. And so you wonder, you know, are we truly following God? Are we truly loving him by being obedient, by loving his children, and also uh, loving to do what he says? Now, when we obey God, when we obey God, part of obeying God is loving. That's the number one thing that we do. We try to clear the deck of any harboring any ill will, any negative feelings towards other people. And that's hard to do. I don't know about you, but there's a few people that when their name comes up, it's a tough stretch, long stretch to say, I love that person. Well, part of loving people is forgiving people, right? I mean, most of you who are married uh, have had one or two opportunities to forgive your spouse, right? For something they've said, something they've done. And so we know, we know that loving is not an event. Loving is a process. It's a long process that involves some bumps and some scrapes and some things that go on. But the truth of love is the evidence that it keeps going, right? It keeps going. It's committed to the other person no matter what, what, through sickness and health, right? Through, you know, I forget the other terms they use when you, when you, I've said it so many times as a pastor, but I, I just, I'm forgetting right now, so you'll have to forgive my old age, right? But, you know, all those things that, that you say, no matter what, I'm going to keep going. 
Isn't that the evidence? Isn't that the truth about love? Is that even through the worst of times or the best of times, you stay the course. Now, it doesn't mean that at some moments, because we live in the linear time, right? At some moments, it's going to not feel like I'm being loving or feel like I'm being loved. But it's your commitment to keep going. Commitment to keep going. What's really interesting is when you look in the book of Revelation and you see this interesting phrase. John, the same John, is writing about all the churches. And, and they are they, they represent almost every type of individual you can represent. And he says to them at the end of each address to the churches, he says this one thing. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. Isn't that interesting? So your belief is something that drives you all the way to the finish line. And we have other examples of that in Scripture. In Hebrews, where it talks about it being a long-distance race, right? And we run to the end. We run to the tape. We don't want to be the one that, that runs halfway and stops. and says, this is not for me. So... What is the evidence? The evidence is that we love God, and that love is a love that keeps on going. And when it recognizes that maybe it's hurt, or it's discouraged, or there's some disappointment, it stops, and it looks again at the character and the nature of God, that God doesn't, doesn't ever stop loving us. And so you recommit yourself to that love relationship with God. And if it means forgiving someone, or setting something aside, Asking God to help you forgive and, yes, choose to forget. You don't ever really forget, but you choose to not remember that, not letting it keep coming back up and up and up again. And so you do what Jesus did. He laid down his life to forgive those who wronged him. So that should be a a pattern of our life. Okay, there should be evidence in our life. There's a trail of Love, love, and love, and love. That just keeps on going. Okay? So if you look at your life, am I committed to Christ? Well, um, that's one, one piece of evidence. The other one he says there is to, to obey God, and I like to say it this way, to obey God without complaint. Now, um, I know that we've all had to be under the authority of somebody, whether it's at work or it's at school or especially at home. And your mom and dad, you know, are over you. You know, God's placed them over you in a position of authority. It may be governmental, whatever it is. But uh, we are to be obedient people, especially when it comes to God. Whatever God calls us to do or what he calls us to be as people, we, we are to be compliant. We are to be obedient. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there's a few times that I've been obedient, but not with a happy spirit. Right? It's like, okay, I'll do what you want me to do. The question is, do you feel like that? Is it, it says here, it's not burdensome. Isn't that amazing? That it's, it's not a burden to be obedient to God. There are many times, I just have to be confessional here, that it, it felt like a burden to have to live the way God wanted me to live. Why? Because I, I'm in a world that that proposes the opposite. This is where fun exists. Right? 
And, you know, I, I have to admit, too, I, I used to be really, really uh, envious of people who accepted Jesus later in life. Because they were forgiven, but they got to do all the fun stuff first. You know, I accepted Jesus when I was four and a half. Oh, man. See? So we kind of grouse about being obedient to God. Have you ever been in that spot? Maybe you're in that spot right now. I mean, we grouse about, oh, I hate to say even the word because then you're going to think that I'm just after your money. We grouse about tithing. Mm. We, we, we grouse about, don't be drunk with wine. We, we, we grouse about loving your neighbor. We grouse about being obedient to my parents or honoring your father and mother. We, we grouse about stuff like that, right? When in reality, the truth is, God will never ask you to do anything to harm you. He will only instruct you to do the things that he originally intended and designed for you to do, and it is for your good. It's for your good and the good of your friends and the good of your family that you would live according to his design. And if you, even if you look at the Old Testament and, and you look at the, 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 the original Ten Commandments, they're all relationally built. They're all about your relationship with God and your relationship with other people and to keep things right. You know, even my parents, I, I can't ever remember a time when they asked me to do something wrong. I would grouse about doing the things that they told me to do wash the dishes, you know, take out the trash, mow the lawn, you know, pick up the poop from the dog, whatever it was. It's very interesting. Even, you know, be home by 11 o'clock. It's not against the law to be out later than that, you know, but that's what they wanted. Was that going to hurt me if I came home at 11 o'clock? Matter of fact, it would have kept me out of a lot of trouble if I would have come home at 11 o'clock, Right. I can never remember a time that my parents, my earthly parents, ever asked me to do anything to harm me. Interesting, isn't it? Well, your heavenly father is never asked or never will ask you to do anything that will harm you, will hurt you. He only does it for our good. And so we we have to, to start believing that. And then another thing there it says is that it's not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith is something that, that we believe and God says he will, when we, when we are unable to believe, he actually will help us believe. Isn't that amazing? The scripture says that God loves us so much that even when we are failing in, in our area of belief, that he will, he will buttress that. He will, he will support us. He gives us his Holy Spirit so deep down and he gives us his, his, his people to encourage us, to come alongside us, to, to give us that extra little boost that we need to do what we, we want to do and what we need to do and we know is good for us. So we live in victory, not in defeat. It says they overcome the world. Not living in a constant state of defeat is something that we should ascribe to, and not just ascribe to, but we should should really lean into. 
You know, there's a lot of people you meet who are like perennial optimists. You ever meet anybody like that? I mean, it's just like no matter what, they're just like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get it done. You know, it's going to happen. Okay. Everything's be all right. You know, how are you doing today? I'm great. I mean, they're just, they, they make me mad sometimes, you know, but, but they're just optimistic all the time. Well, I, I came to a point in my life when, you know, I don't know, I was going through a season where I just, everything seemed like it was going wrong and everything I did was going wrong. And I just got like kind of the Eeyore scenario, you know. Okay, it's going to be another day. I guess I'll get through it. And so you kind of muddle through. And we've all met those people too, right? They're they're real fun to hang around. I mean, you call them, hey, can we hang out? No, No, thanks, you know. So I came to a point in my life where I really realized that, you know, Every day really is a gift. And, and I have it so much better than I deserve. So sometimes when you, you say, hey, Bruce, how's it going? You'll hear me say, much better than I deserve. And I say that intentionally, not for you, but for myself. I just have to keep everything framed properly. That, yes, today I'm much better than I deserve. Because if I got what I deserved, right, Things wouldn't be good. <laughs> wouldn't be. If God withdrew his hand from my life and I, I was no longer under his protection and, and no longer was, was, was be, being given his forgiveness, where would I be? Right? And so I have to, to be optimistic. And I think Christians should be the most optimistic people, not unrealistically optimistic. But we should, we should have a, a, a joyful countenance. Isn't that one of the fruits of the Spirit? It's love is number one and joy is number two. Joy doesn't mean that circumstances are always perfect. Joy means that you know in spite of the circumstances, God loves you and has forgiven you and has given you eternal life that you didn't deserve. That God gave up his life willingly to give you. That, that should put a crease of a smile on your face at least, right? And so here John is saying that's one of the evidence I mean, that deep down we have this understanding and we know we've got this optimistic outlook on life and eternity. So it takes us to the point where we say, how can we be sure that our believing is true? In other words, how can we be sure that who we're believing in is actually worth believing in. I mean, a lot of people say that Jesus was a great guy. He was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. I mean, historically, he's an amazing man. I mean, look, they they put the calendar all around his birth and his death. I mean, he's the most famous individual who ever lived on the planet. Can we get an amen? All right, he is. I mean, even the, the secular world believes that. But we believe a little bit more than that, right? We believe he did. He did change water to wine. He did walk on water. He did bring people back to life. And he died and was crucified and was buried. And three days later, he rose back to life and ascended into heaven. And he is coming back. We believe more about Jesus than other people believe, right? So where's the witness for that? Because 
we believe in true things and we want to believe in something that is true. And it goes on, it says here in verse six, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three things that testify, the spirit, the water and the blood. And these three are all in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. What he's just saying is this. He says, I know I'm John. I was one of his his disciples and I saw him crucified. I saw him resurrected. The Bible says there were over 500 people on, on that last day when he was ascended into heaven. They all testified and believed, and they, they proved their belief with their, with their very lives. Every one of the disciples was killed because they kept believing. They would not be persuaded otherwise that Jesus rose from the grave. Right? I mean, they were willing to go to their death because they believed it was true. And here John is saying something very interesting is that the testimony of God about who Jesus is, is actually a stronger testimony than the things that ordinary people would say about Jesus. I mean, in a, in a court of law, you, you have people come in and they give testimony about whether somebody is true or not true, right? And based upon their little sworn testimony, I swear that I will tell the truth, then the jury makes a decision and the judge makes a decision. And somebody's either convicted or not. Now, we had 500 people go into a court of law and say, I saw Jesus was crucified and I saw three days later he rose from the dead. Well, hopefully he would be exonerated, right? He said, okay, yes, he did. Okay, we believe that because the testimony is so many people. Well, I wasn't there. I have to believe in the fact that those people really did believe. But John is saying there's something even greater than that. The witness of the water, the blood, and the spirit. So let's look at that for just a second. The witness of the water. This is talking to about the baptism of Jesus. Okay. And John the Baptist confirmed that Jesus didn't need to be baptized. In fact, John said that he needed to be baptized by Jesus. Remember the story? And when Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3 tells us that when Jesus came out of the water, the heavens opened up and John saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending on Jesus. And there was, there was a voice and no sound system, just a voice that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, not only John saw that, but there were lots and lots of people, the Bible records, who came to be baptized by John. I'm sure Jesus wasn't just there by himself that day. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of people who witnessed that and who heard that. And God meant for that event to serve as witness of who his son Jesus really was. Okay? It was a powerful event that not only John remembered, he might have been there. He probably was there. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And so he witnesses this event, this supernatural event that God allowed more than one person to hear. That's the first. Then the witness of the blood, the crucifixion of Jesus is what we're talking about. At the cross, we have a record 
in Matthew 27, verse 42, of a Roman soldier's confession. What did he say after Jesus was crucified? He said, this truly was the Son of God, right? Now, this has never been disputed. It's been written down. This is a true statement. This is, there was also the witness of God at the time of the death of Jesus when there were, there was complete darkness. There were earthquakes in the middle of the day. Uh, there was no light. Uh, tombs opened up. People were raised from the dead. The veil in the temple was being ripped from top to bottom. Not to mention all the prophecies that were revealed on the cross. Do you realize that in Psalm 22 and other places in the Old Testament, well, Psalm 22, I'll, I'll just read a snippet. It says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, which would normally happen in a crucifixion. It says, my heart has turned to wax. It's melted away within me. My strength has dried up like a pot's herd. Uh, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People are staring at me and gloating over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots from my clothing. Do you know that there are over 332 prophecies from the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And any Jewish person who had been familiar with the Torah, the Old Testament, would have recognized that. Do you know that the early church, the first early church, were, were primarily Jews? They weren't Gentiles. They were Jews who saw it, who recognized that it was true. That was what God was about. You say, what is the Old Testament all about? It's there. It's there as evidence. As evidence. And so that is the second evidence. The baptism of Jesus, the voice of God, the Spirit of God descending on His Son, and now all of the prophecies fulfilled in the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's all there to see. And God says, I'm going to write this through millennia. Write this, these things down, and then you'll see that this is actually true. And then the last witness is the witness of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit did give witness to Jesus' baptism, right? But then, in, in 1 John 5.10, it says, Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony, the Spirit, in their heart. You heard me say before that the Spirit literally lives inside you as you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He comes and He takes up residence. He lives in each one of us. And the primary thing that He is there to do, it says that He's the come alongsider, He's the encourager, and He's there to encourage your belief. He's there to encourage your heart. He's there to, to, again, speak God's love into your heart and life. He's there to encourage you to, to continue to forgive and love and obey God. He's there to encourage you to remember that Jesus is coming back. He is alive. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's pleading your case. When, when, when we sin... Jesus says, I have forgiven. My blood has covered that person's sin. And the Father says, yes. 
And the Spirit is inside you trying to keep that in the forefront of your brain. You are a forgiven, much-loved individual. And so the, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. So deep down, the person who truly believes Jesus is his Lord and Savior has this inner witness that, that creates a confidence, a knowing that you are indeed one of the children of God. So if you look at verse 10, it says this, Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. In other words, if a person doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you're actually calling God a liar. Why? Because God is the one who has given the testimony. God said, I gave testimony, evidence that Jesus is who he says he is through his baptism, through the Spirit descending, through his death on the cross, all the evidence I provided in the Old Testament, and now the Spirit of God who lives in your heart. And if you don't believe it, you're calling God a liar. Now, personally, I wouldn't want to be in that scenario. Okay? I wouldn't want to be in that position. But it says, He calls him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And in and this life is in His Son, Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So it's our choice. And, you know, I've, I continually find it amazing how people believe things on the testimony of one or two people. There are so many conspiracy theories going on these days. And you, you just, you're just reeling and wondering what is really true, right? Well, hopefully, as we sit here today, we can embrace the truth about Jesus. And if you haven't yet, I hope you will. I hope you give yourself finally over to just saying, I believe who Jesus really is. Through the witness of the, what the scripture has revealed, the witness of his, his life, the baptism of Jesus, his crucifixion. You can read all the Old Testament prophecies and see how amazing it is that they were all fulfilled in Jesus and believe it. And when you do, give yourself over to finally believing in Jesus that way. God will implant his spirit in your life, in your heart, and he will be there along with us to encourage you to stay the course, to run the race, to finish it, to keep believing. Keep on believing. Will you do that? I hope you will. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much. And thank you for the witness of the life of Jesus, his baptism, his death, his resurrection, and the spirit that you give us that confirms deep down in our hearts that we genuinely have been forgiven and cleansed of our sin and have the hope of eternal life through your son, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that promise that is fulfilled in the one, the only true son of God, Jesus Christ. We love you, God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. For listening, know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.